Hey everyone, welcome back to The Health Beat. podcast created by medical students that takes the current pulse of news stories featuring public health and medical issues. I'm Neha Anand. And I'm Thomas Lay. Today's episode is dedicated to talking about artificial intelligence, which you may have heard a lot about. It's a pretty big buzzword and it's used in a lot of different fields. And according to PitchBook in 2021, roughly $37.9 billion had been invested in AI startups. So Artificial intelligence is definitely a very big hot topic in the world, and it also has a really big application in medicine and healthcare, which is why we're devoting a whole episode to the topic. And so we're going to delve into what exactly is artificial intelligence and give some examples, and also some of the controversies or challenges that artificial intelligence faces. So let's dive right into it. What exactly is artificial intelligence, Thomas? Yeah, I think artificial intelligence is like one of those things where it really is just thrown around a lot and not really many people know what it is, but I guess I, I find it very interesting that it's just people find that like people are just throwing money at this field. And so artificial intelligence, according to John McCarthy, who is the father of AI, is the science and engineering of making intelligent machines, especially intelligent computer programs. It's related to the similar task of using computers to understand human intelligence, but AI does not have to confine itself to methods that are biologically observable. And so when we talk about AI here in this podcast, and I think just out in the general news media, you hear a lot of words being used for it, like deep learning and machine learning, and everything is kind of used interchangeably, which is very confusing, but To be very technical, machine learning and deep learning are subfields of artificial intelligence, and deep learning itself is a subfield of machine learning. And there's a lot of other subfields in artificial intelligence, including neural networks, speech processing, planning. And an example, I think, of planning is the self-driving cars and that whole you know, branch that's kind of emerging and it's been on the news because these cars have to make decisions on, you know, like, how to turn, you know, do you merge, like all these things. And that's, that's a subfield of artificial intelligence itself. Yeah, there's so many different terms tossed around. And I think until I started to learn about this field more, I really couldn't differentiate between a lot of these different terms. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we're going to break down the two types of artificial intelligence are weak and strong. Uh, weak artificial intelligence is trained to focus on specific tasks. And that's the majority of the artificial intelligence that's used right now in our society. Some examples are Siri on your uh, iPhone, Alexa from Amazon or IBM Watson as well. Strong AI, on the other hand, is a theoretical form where a machine would have intelligence equal to humans. And this is what a lot of people think when they think of AI. They think machines have some form of thinking or intelligence that make them equivalent to humans. And so a lot of this is semantics about what exactly, you know, machines understanding really is. A lot of it is algorithms and math. So this math is just a way to help us simplify, you know, the patterns in the world. So our brains can tackle complex problems that we can't do ourselves. And, you know, we as humans do that all the time, like minute to minute, days to days, machine learning in this way is using computers to do those calculations. And that's why this term of intelligence gets tossed around in terms of it's thought of to be a similar process. But that is, of course, a strong AI form versus the weak AI. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When you use Siri, Neha, or you use Alexa, you're like, oh man, this is, there's like a little person in my phone. You know, it's <laughs> easy to really personify, but it's just math. They definitely seem like they have their own personality sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah, those like fun videos where it's like you have Siri like roast you or something like that's that's fun. <laughs> but it's all illusion, everyone. There is no person in your phone. Well, maybe not yet, but anyways, I digress. Let's talk about a classic machine learning example in medicine. One that's been worked on and that's been published widely is the interpretation of chest x-rays. And so I think in its most ideal form, you could create a machine learning algorithm to evaluate a chest x-ray and then spit out a diagnosis. And I'm going to really emphasize that this is ideal because... Well, I mean, radiologists right now can't even do that. If you look at a chest x-ray, there still is some uncertainty of what might actually be causing any sort of lung pathology, but we're, we're going really ideal here, right? Some people say that this sort of perfect example of a machine learning algorithm for chest x-ray is sort of the end game of AI in medicine because it, it'll kind of kick out all radiologists, like we won't need them anymore. We just need these algorithms who can read these images for us. And as I mentioned, this seems kind of lofty, but that's the sort of thing that kind of is floating around ideally that machines can replace humans. But I think that's a very unfounded idea, at least currently and probably for a very long time. Yeah, it's a great point. I think there is definitely this sense that AI might replace a lot of what radiologists do in the future. But like you said, there's still so much more that goes into reading just even an x-ray. So to think about an easier problem maybe to approach AI with is looking at whether you have a normal chest chest x-ray versus an abnormal chest x-ray rather than trying to focus on a specific diagnosis. And so to go through some of the basic workflow about how machine learning might do this, you would start off with a training data set. So you'd have a data set of pictures of all these chest x-rays that you would input into a model algorithm that has a certain set of parameters. And the goal of that model or algorithm is to differentiate between a normal and an abnormal chest x-ray. And it can do this through these types of learning. There's fancy terms for it. One is called supervised learning, which is when you would assign labels to these pictures. So you'd say this picture has a normal uh, chest x-ray or this picture is an abnormal chest x-ray and feed that into the model. And then there's also unsupervised learning, which doesn't involve any labeling of those pictures, but is rather making the algorithm look at patterns or different pattern recognition to figure out what is normal and abnormal. Once you've trained this model, you can use a validation data set, which is another set of pictures of these chest x-rays to see how well the model does. You can look at different fit parameters and kind of tune the model to make it have a better fit. And then lastly, you would use a testing data set to evaluate the final data set and to see how well your final model would do. Yeah. And so I think even through this example, we can talk through some of the challenges that arise even just by doing this, because this we didn't, we didn't come up with this. This is something that has been done in different groups. I, in particular, I'm, I'm thinking about one group at UCSF that's done this. And they published and they said to do something like this, you don't need images on the order of like thousands. You need 
on the order of hundreds of thousands of images. And this presents a logistical challenge, which is the first challenge you want to talk about, because you need an incredible amount of data to train a machine learning algorithm. So if, if this was a very simplified problem, like just having an algorithm tell us whether this chest x-ray was normal or abnormal, imagine how many images we would need to design an algorithm to tell us like a specific disease. It might be on the order, I don't know, like millions, tens of millions, like it would be a lot. And that's just a place we're not at right now. And that's why I think AI researchers kind of shy away from saying that this is understanding, this is true intelligence, or this is the strong AI approach. Logistically, also, because we're working with medical records, like everything in medicine, unfortunately, there is a lot of red tape. We have to worry about patient privacy, patient protection. So how, how are we going to get tens of millions of images? You know, this presents a logistical problem that will probably make advancing AI, at least in the context of medicine, a little bit slower compared to other fields that it's being applied to. One other challenge is, aside from the logistical challenge, is a safety challenge. So for a lot of these algorithms, it's kind of a black box. And when we say black box, what we mean is that we have an input, like let's say a chest x-ray, and it goes boopy, boopy, bop, like just something in the middle happens. And then it outputs out a result, like abnormal, normal. And the question is, is that safe? I mean, the FDA or the Federal Drug Administration wants to be assured that any sort of tool that's being used in clinical decision making is both safe and efficacious. That's very important, but this is kind of like a brave new world in a sense. We don't really know the implications of using machine learning because it's just so new and, and AI and clinical care. And so this review in September 2020 found that there are currently 64 AI slash machine learning based FDA approved medical devices and algorithms. So clearly the ball is rolling, but I think the long-term effects of this is still unknown. Those are really interesting points. I think there's so much in the context of medicine and healthcare that create unique challenges to advancing AI, like you mentioned. And one other thing that I, I'm thinking as you're talking about is for example, in the setting, looking at chest x-rays, so much of what goes behind clinical decision-making related to chest x-rays, the context of the patient. So that's not something that is always necessarily going to be inputted into an algorithm that might be used for AI. So like you're saying, whether it, it will just tell you normal or abnormal, but that normal or abnormal could totally depend on the patient context. And that also makes logistical challenges in terms of trying to gather all that patient context info and then, you know, safety challenges as well in terms of whether you're saying this is abnormal or normal when it could actually be the opposite based on the, the patient's context. There are a lot of ethical challenges as well. For example, a lot of people, I think if they knew that when they went to the doctor that they're mostly receiving care from a machine algorithm may not really feel very comfortable because a lot of the practice of medicine emphasizes a humanistic approach and a personal connection between the doctor and their patient. So I think some people may feel less comfortable with that and it makes it feel a little bit more impersonal. Yeah, it just seems weird to to know that a machine made the decision whether I, I don't know, like 
get antibiotics or or like whether the machine said that I should get an MRI or something like I want I want to be reassured that there is a human on the other side it just it seems very impersonal right yeah and I think it's interesting that you know patients trust their doctors because they've gone through medical training and that's kind of like the doctor's machine learning training is medical school, but they don't necessarily know the exact mechanisms behind algorithms and stuff to make AI. So I think a lot of it is also just patients don't know what goes behind a lot of these algorithms that could potentially be used in their care. There's also a lot of health equity challenges potentially in terms of thinking about how these algorithms and models are created it's really dependent on not only the parameters that are used for these models. And you can think about, for example, for those checks, right images, if those were mainly images from males or they were only mainly images from a certain race that mm-hmm. could bias the algorithm. And also there's bias in terms of who is actually designing these algorithms. There's actually this really famous study to that kind of talks about equity and machine learning. And it was a model that was used to predict future crimes based upon historical arrest records. And so when they created this model, they're just, you know, inputting in data and things like that, they realized that this model was classifying African American defendants who do not reoffend as high risk compared to white defendants who do not reoffend. Or in other words, the model used race as a predictor of whether someone would reoffend or not. And if we're thinking about using this in the real world, it just doesn't seem right for us to assume, at least based upon this model, that being African-American, you will be more likely to reoffend. And thus, you're just kind of discriminating. You're, you're perpetuating this stereotype based upon this model. And that just doesn't really seem to sit well, and it doesn't really seem good to make important decisions based upon this algorithm. Yeah, and I think with all these challenges, and and specifically also that study kind of tells us that we have to be cautious in terms of how we are using artificial intelligence and applying it in healthcare and medical settings, and, you know, having very good uh, reasoning for using it and good design behind it and with the goal of improving patient outcomes. And so AI is being used in a lot of different specialties from radiology, oncology, ophthalmology, and cardiology. So there are definitely a lot of ways that artificial intelligence can potentially advance a lot of fields of medicine, but there are also maybe some parts of medicine that it, it can't really help with. For example, could you imagine having an algorithm be your therapist or help you decide what antidepressant you need to use or whether you have depression or not. I think there are a lot of gray areas in medicine where artificial intelligence may not be so applicable or at least in its current form not be well suited for right now. Yeah, and this hearing us talk about this is reminding me, I have a close friend who's doing AI work in her PhD at Carnegie Mellon University. And she tells me about some of like the wonky things she's hearing about, like there's this one study by this group in China that claimed that they developed a model that they could take voice samples from people and determine based upon the voice sample, if 
that person speaking was liberal or conservative. And so it kind of kind of like presents this interesting question of when does it stop? Can we may use AI for everything? There has to be some sort of stopping point. This just doesn't really make sense. I want a real person now, please. So we talked about a lot of things and I just wanted to leave us with some key takeaways. And the first takeaway is that AI really refers to using math and algorithms to make complex decisions. And people that work in the AI space really shy away from talking about intelligence or understanding because I think it kind of opens up Pandora's box of what is understanding, what is intelligence. And at its core, AI is just math. It's it's a lot of math. It's hard math, it's, but it's math. And also AI is a promising tool in the fields of medicine, but it has logistical challenges. Like we mentioned, you just need a lot of data to be able to create these models. And it has these ethical challenges, as Neha was mentioning, that if, if we had a majority of our clinical decision-making based upon these models, but had no human sort of input, there just seems to be something off there. And I feel like a lot of patients would be very uncomfortable. And finally, there's some health equity challenges as well. And we want to make sure that we're not disenfranchising some vulnerable minority populations in the U.S. when we are designing these models, because it could have really large implications. And I think ultimately, Neha, this is going to be a really exciting area that's filled with misunderstandings, <laughs> but it's only going to grow in the future. As you mentioned, there's just money being poured into this field, and it'll be on us as a society to figure out how can we improve healthcare with these technologies. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting in our future careers to see how artificial intelligence is incorporated into our practice of medicine and how that may change patient care hopefully for the better. But as we you know, talked about in this podcast, there are obviously a lot of things we have to think about when incorporating artificial intelligence. So thanks so much, Thomas, for taking the time to discuss this topic. Yeah, no, same. I'm glad that we could have this great conversation. As a, as a side note for listeners, Neha and I took a class where we had to wrangle with machine learning together and learn how to do that. So We were very inspired from that difficult experience to create this podcast and talk to you all. (laughs) Definitely learned a lot and had a much better understanding about machine learning at the end of it. So it's a very complicated topic, but we just wanted to give you all a brief overview. So thanks so much for joining us. If you've made it this far, you must be really interested in current health news topics. Follow us on COVID Up to Date for news headlines related to the pandemic and make sure to subscribe to The Health Beat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, be sure to give us a great review and let us know what topics you want covered in the future. See you next time.